This is an Odyssey original. This is KDX In Depth. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Elsa Ramon. In for Charles Feldman today. Zero bail. Is it truly a get-out-of-jail-free card causing a lot of controversy? But is it bringing fairness to the criminal justice system? We go in-depth later in the show with L.A. County D.A. George Gascon, who is taking a lot of heat on this, on a lawsuit trying to stop this policy. The governor has picked a new senator. We'll look into who LaFonza Butler is. And is Gen Z... Not ready to work. Some bosses out there seem a little worried. Well, we're going to start by discussing California's new senator, LaFonza Butler. Timothy Simon is an attorney and chairman of the California African-American Chamber of Commerce. He's also the former appointment secretary under former Governor Schwarzenegger. The appointment secretary makes recommendations to the governor. Thank you so much for joining us, Timothy. Thank you, Elsa and Rob, for having me. Sure. So. LaFonza Butler, some people may say, who is this person? We've never heard of her before. There has been talk about her leading up to the governor appointing someone to fill Feinstein's seat. But what is it about her that makes the governor believe she's got the chops to do this job? Well, first, if I could take a moment to express my sympathies and condolences to the Feinstein family, a family that my family has known for over 60 years. and. Um, it- it's, it's a great loss to our state uh, that our, you know, heroic senator has transitioned. Uh, Ms. Butler uh, has a very distinguished background in labor policy. She was a University of California regent, one of the most prestigious appointments and, and important appointments that could come out of the governor's office. She did uh, resign from the regents. She's also has has a very strong policy background, as well as but very strong in your neck of the woods uh, with home care workers uh, in the labor arena. So there's nothing really bad to say about Miss Butler. I think the the rub or the irony is that when Governor Newsom appointed uh, Alex Padilla, there were no restrictions. Well, now there's no restrictions regarding. Miss Butler's reign, but it was no secret in California politics that uh, now Senator Padilla was eyeing what was in Senator Feinstein's seat, who decided to run again uh, against Kevin DeLeon. So um, I feel that there is, uh, she's extremely qualified, and from my observation, but if she were to decide to run without a restriction, she's far behind the three existing candidates. And with an open primary, one of the accomplishments of my former boss, Governor Schwarzenegger, we will see two Democrats paired up against each other. So I think it's to be seen if Ms. Butler will take advantage of the open door that she has to actually run for the United States Senate out of California, as well the, the, the world's fifth largest economy, and or will she allow the three existing candidates, that being Congresswoman Porter and Congressman Schiff and, and Congressman Lee, Woman Lee, to uh, to have at it in the primary. All right, let's assume that uh, she is thinking about uh, running, all right? We don't know, uh, but let's assume that she is. If she is, does she have time to do something to kind of get her name out in front of the other candidates? Well, my immediate answer would be yes, because she has the benefit of being an incumbent. Uh, when she comes to Washington, the media will play play a very strong focus on her as the new sitting senator. 
from California, and I assume that would mean a seat on the very powerful Judiciary Committee, which Chuck Schumer is extremely dependent upon. So I think just by way of media coverage, she would have a certain ramp or runway. Uh, as we speak, Adam Schiff is the leading uh, fundraiser. And I, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that Congressman Schiff has the endorsement of former Speaker Nancy Pelosi, of my congresswoman here in San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi. I'm willing to wager that that has had a lot to do with the series of decisions and events surrounding Ms. Butler's uh, appointment. All right. Thank you so much. So this is uh, Timothy Simon joining us to talk about California's newest senator, LaFonza Butler. Right now, though, the fraud trial in New York against former President Trump, it started. Trump's accused of lying about his wealth. He's calling the trial a scam. He said the DA is racist uh, and that this is just a witch hunt. With us now is trial attorney Manny Arumbula, who's also a former deputy attorney general with the California Department of Justice. Thanks for being here, Manny. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Well, so Trump made his thoughts pretty clear. I don't think anyone was really surprised about that, of what he had to say about the whole situation. But this isn't his first time facing charges and being convicted uh, and accused of things in New York. Yeah, that you know, that's correct. You know, what separates this case from possibly the others is that this could literally be the end of his ability to do business in the state of New York. Uh, what the attorney general, Letitia James, is asking for is for the judge to pull essentially all of his license. So in other words, I, I've heard people refer to it as a business death sentence, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, she's alleging, and the judge has already found that he's engaged in widespread fraud over a number of years. And you know, the numbers they're using in this particular case is they said that the valuation that he that have been overestimated uh, range anywhere from 812 million to 2.2 billion. So that's a fairly large, you know, number in terms of, you know, how he inflated his assets for the purposes of getting more favorable loans, insurance and things of that nature. But this this is a serious uh, uh, charge. It does look like he will lose his ability to uh, engage in business in New York. And there could be a lot of collateral uh, effects on his businesses in general. Let me ask you what you think about Donald Trump's strategy so far, attacking the judge in whose hands the sole decision is going to rest and his legal team, from what we hear, neglecting to uh, make sure this was a jury trial. You know, the issue about whether or not it's a jury trial, it's very case specific. But in this case, as you pointed out, it's, it's a bench trial, which means it's only to the judge. You know, and I've puzzled myself. I was literally looking at the news earlier today where the where he essentially went out and excoriated the judge, said that he's biased, that it's a political, uh, you know, that he's ruling as he is because it's political. You know, I can tell you as an experienced trial attorney, you know, bad mouthing the judge is a bad idea on, on any given day, but particularly so when you actually appear. I, the only sense I can make out of that is he's probably already made the calculation that he's going to lose. And, you know, maybe he's hoping to go the judge into making, a, you know, an ill-advised statement about Mr. Trump or, you know, otherwise kind of push the narrative that, in fact, that this case isn't based on the facts in this particular uh, situation, but rather in, on bias. Because otherwise, you know, my clients, whenever they're going to appear in court, I tell them, you know, you've got to be polite. You know, you please, you know, address everybody with respect. And obviously, Mr. Trump has done everything quite the opposite. And, you know, to be perfectly frank, it doesn't look like his 
lawyers have a lot of control over what he's doing. You know, they they know that that's what he's going to do, which is what he's known for. I think that's been pretty evident throughout everything we've watched with Trump. I don't know. And it's been highly rumored that he doesn't take advice or uh, listen to his legal advice from his attorneys. So so, you know, they they find him guilty of this. They you know, the, the judge says you've committed fraud and he's got to pay, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. How likely is that going to happen? Because somebody with him who still has resources and has money could tie this up forever. You know, well, the, the trial is actually scheduled up and until December 22nd, and the judge has already made the finding on the first count. Now, there's seven counts. The first one is the one that he's already made a finding of. And, you know, just to give you a, a, a kind of a small um, insight into what happened. So, for example, Mr. Trump was saying that his uh, uh, his apartment in New York in Trump Tower was 30,000 square feet. And the judge already made a finding that obviously that was not true. And, and that's an easily verifiable uh, you know, matter. It's actually only 10,000 square feet. That necessarily means that he overvalued that. And by the way, this is all public record. Even Forbes magazine called him out, called out Mr. Trump on that. So, and the judge made a finding that, you know what? There is no reason to have a trial. All these issues, these issues re- related to his fraud from 2014 to 2021, they are all of such a nature that, you know, or the allegations are true precisely because they are subject to easy verification. So he's, the judge has already made on that first count, he's made a finding that fraud, he's engaged in fraud. Now, what's at issue on that first count, however, is what the fine should be. Uh, Attorney General James is asking for $250 million. And so what's going to happen throughout the trial for the next 90 days, give or take, is the judge, they're going to hear evidence, at least on that count, as to what would be the appropriate amount of what's called disgorgement. In other words, what did he gain through this unlaw- these unlawful actions, through this fraud that's that's lasted for years? That's what the real question is. Now, as to the other counts, they still have to actually prove you know, that they, he acted with the intent to commit those or the organization itself. But they still so it's still a full blown trial as to the other ones. But the big one was count number one, because that one right there essentially uh, laid the foundation for just all they're trying to figure out now is what the appropriate punishment would be because he engaged in fraud. All right. Manny Rambala, thank you so much. A former deputy attorney general and a trial attorney talking about the civil fraud trial underway in New York right now featuring former President Donald Trump. A little later in the show, is Gen Z really serious about work and ready to get to work? We're going to look into some results of a new poll that shows some business owners are not happy with the younger workers out there. Right now, though, L.A. County's new zero bail policy has just started, and there's already a lawsuit to try to stop it. It's been filed by 12 cities in the county, led by Whittier. And with us now to talk about it, Whittier Mayor Joe Venateri. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be able to help. So I'm operating under the assumption that you think the zero bail policy is a bad idea. Uh, what do you think about it? Are there some things you like about it and other things you don't? How would you how would you suss all that out? Well, the, 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 the major concern that we have is that the way it's now set up, if somebody uh, is involved in a crime and they are what we call a site release or a book and release, then um, there's essentially no discussion between uh, different communities, different PDs, uh, uh, police departments, relative to 
the the uh, uh, whatever has happened to get them cited and released in one city, they can go to another jurisdiction, another city, uh, do the same thing there, cite, release. And remember when I say cite, um, a cite is like a traffic ticket. And if I'm driving too fast, for example, and I get a citation, I agree to appear, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm gone. So the major concern here is that, in, in essence, there is an awareness of an arrestee's prior citations for, for the similar offenses, and uh, th- there's no ability uh, for discussion or communication uh, relative to that particular arrestee who's committed that crime. So, Mayor, you know, this this new system is based on the criticism that the cash bail favors the rich and that the poor lose out because they're stuck behind bars for lesser offenses. And then, you know, it just snowballs from there. The financial problems, they don't have bail. Then maybe they lose their job and all kinds of things like that. Is there somewhere in the in the middle with this that uh, could make it work? Um, you know, and that's a that's a really good question uh, because I, I, you know, there 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 are those concerns, and and I, we hear them loud and clear. The problem is we think it's it's gone too far the other way, and people are already intrinsically feeling like there's something wrong in terms of crime, smash and grabs. I mean, I don't need to tell you everything that's going on. So, I think there might be some opportunity. The problem is. When this came down, it was about a month, month and a half ago, I think it was. Maybe it's uh, I'm losing time, uh, track of time. But uh, when it came down, uh, there was not a lot of discussion about it because it had been done by the the judges of the L.A. uh, Superior Court. And uh, there was no input from those of us who were on the front lines at the community level uh, where we feel uh, the impact of crime. And so there was very, very little discussion of that. And don't get me wrong, we have some very, very, very good judges in Los Angeles County. And uh, so so they're really good at, at basically uh, getting the facts, uh, applying the law, and, and coming to a conclusion. This is a little bit different. This is part of their responsibility. But this has broad, broad application at the local government level. And that's where it's hitting and hitting the hardest and I think there might very well be an opportunity to to find some kind of middle ground on this. But this just goes too far. And um, we never had any input into it whatsoever. And that's why we filed the lawsuit. Do you have any ideas uh, to find that middle ground? Like what would you do to make the system more equitable without going all the way to getting rid of of uh, cash bail? Uh, and, and Rob, I got Rob. I got to tell you, I've I've not sat down and thought about the the big picture of it. I mean, this all has happened so quickly. But I, I've got to believe. I'm looking at their bail schedule here, uh, or lack thereof. Uh, you know what's happened here. There's a number of of different uh, uh, changes here. For example, in trespass to a battered woman's shelter. That's basically a site and release. Well, if someone's trespassing at a women's um, a battered uh, shelter, it's probably um, a husband uh, who does not have a good idea, uh, has an idea of what he wants to do, and it's not in, in the best interest of his his battered spouse. Uh, that's a CR. That's a site and release. We've got a drug offender on campus with a prior 415.5 conviction. That's a site and release. In other words, give him the ticket and say, get out of here. Uh, um, I'm looking at supervising or aiding a person committing an act of prostitution. 
That's trafficking, human trafficking. That's a sight and release. So I think the schedule, I mean, uh, I think there needs to be a bigger discussion about this than just uh, just at, at, at one particular level. I think the, you've got to have the, the chiefs of police. You've got to have the county sheriff. Uh, you need to have the cities involved in it because we're on the front line. We're the ones who are feeling it most. And I've got people talking to me. I've had, what, one or two emails already today about different things going on at a particular business. Uh, and and they're just they're at wit's end. Mm. So there has to be a bigger, bigger discussion about it. All that. right. Thank you so much. Uh, that is Whittier Mayor Joe Vinatieri. He's opposed uh, to the zero bail policy in L.A. County, which is not effect. Uh, thinks it goes too far. You are listening to KNX In-Depth with Rob Archer. I'm Elsa Ramon in for Charles Feldman. Uh, we are back talking about L.A. County's new zero bail policy and the lawsuit filed by 12 cities and the county to try to stop it. With us now is L.A. County District Attorney George Gaston. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure, Rob. Good afternoon. So we just had the mayor of Whittier on, and among the concerns they have, I my guess is there is support for the idea of trying to make the bail system a bit more equitable between those who have a lot of money and those who don't. But the concern that we got from the mayor of Whittier was one of those examples he gave is someone who trespasses into a battered women's shelter. That is a site and release. And that person is probably dangerous and maybe should be held for a while. How do you assuage those concerns? Look, I think that the first thing that we need to do is sort of take take a moment uh, and understand that cash bail doesn't make us any safer, right? We have people that consistently uh, are able to pay their, you know, their way out, and then they go back and reoffend. We had a, an individual here about a year and a half ago that he was doing father home robberies. Collectively, uh, he was able to post about a half a million dollars uh, in the aggregate, and he went out on the last time uh, he. He was doing a, a follow-home robber. He committed murder. Uh, so let's first of all go from a place understanding that there is no room for cash in the system and that we need to start finding ways to get out of it. Now, what the courts are doing, you know, is a starting point. And I understand, you know, we have some disagreements. I think that people that have open cases, for instance, uh, we should be able to have a magistrate review and there should be other other. Uh, considerations to be taken before they get released, if they're going to get released. I think that uh, detention based on community safety is something that needs to be, you know, evaluated and should be always uh, in, you know, on on the table. Uh, I think that, you know, concerning something like somebody going to a, a, a battered woman's shelter, uh, absolutely, that is something that we, you know, that should not occur. Uh, we believe that, again, people have open cases, people that have residential burglaries. So there are things that need to be review. And I feel very strongly that, you know, we are going to continue to work with the courts and I believe that we'll get to a good place here. But but I find it problematic when people sort of want to go back to the way it was, because the way it was, first of all, it hasn't worked. Uh, you know, people often forget that in L.A. County, because of jail overcrowded uh, conditions, uh, if you had a bail of under $50,000, you were being released immediately. And this has been going on for about two decades. This is not new. Uh, people forget that we actually, when people get convicted of a crime where they have to do county time, they generally don't do much more than about 10% of the time because we don't have the space. 
Uh, we forget that 40% of the people that are in county jail have severe mental health issues. So these are all things that, that need to be addressed. And I believe that the court is heading in the right direction. I believe that there is tweaking that need to occur. We have expressed our concerns. We were very open about our concerns at the Board of Supervisors, but I don't believe that having city sue in the court is going to get us there. You know, also, frankly, the California Supreme Court ruled about two years ago and said uh, for non-serious, non-violent offenses, uh, a person cannot be given a monetary bail that is more than they can afford uh, because it's unconstitutional. So, you know, there there's just a lot on the on the table here. Cash bail has not necessarily kept us any safer. I understand that people have a lot of concerns. I do too. When we talk about smash and grabs, by the way, we're not talking about non-serious, non-violent offenses. Smash and grabs are violent. They're mostly robberies. We're treating them as robberies, so they would be outside of a lot of this conversation. So I think we just need to look back, uh, assess where we were, assess where we are, and then figure out how we're going to get to a better place. But going back is not the answer. But Mr. Gascon, I know you just said yeah, there's a lot of people in the jail system who are mentally ill. There are a lot of people who uh, don't have the money for bail than, you know, more people who don't have the money for bail than people who do. Law enforcement has been very vocal about their concerns about this. Sheriff Robert Luna has talked about it. Uh, LAPD Chief Michael Moore has talked about their concerns about being able to have the resources available if they do need to take someone into custody instead of a site and release. They are worried about whether or not they're going to have access to electronic monitoring. They're worried about whether or not they're going to have a magistrate judge ready to go so that they don't have to cite and release someone. What do you say to law enforcement whose majority, a majority of them are just totally against this? Yeah, look, I share the concerns that, that both the sheriff and, and Chief Moore have, and, and that's why we were at the Board of Supervisors meeting last week to express our concerns regarding residential burglaries, regarding people with open cases. Uh, I agree 100% that, you know, that, you know, the magistrate review should be available seven days a week. Now, the courts have assured us that there would be magistrate review around the clock for those cases that we have a concern. And we have made it very clear to the courts and to law enforcement that we'll we'll do the things that we can to ensure that, you know, that the people at, at arraignment uh, are held back if we believe that they are a public safety concern. Now, for, for the community and for people to understand how the system works, because I think it's important, you get arrested and the policies that the court uh, rolled out whether site and release or book and release or magistrate review, they all happen before the prosecutor gets an opportunity to look at a case, right? That happens at point of arrest. Uh, and if you get released, then we don't get to see you until you're cited back, which could be, you know, several weeks out. If you're held in court, you know, if you're held in custody, then you come up for arraignment and that's the first opportunity that we have. So we're talking about a space where the prosecutors play no role. What we want to make sure is in that space where the prosecutors play no role, that there is effective magistrate review and for people that need to be detained uh, because they're a public safety concern or because we believe that they have shown the uh, incapacity of, uh, you know, keeping themselves clean while they have already been released, that the magistrate can actually hold those people back 
in a detention until we get to arraignment, where then we have the capacity for prosecutors mm -hmm. and, and the defense lawyers to you know argue the merits of the case and argue whether the person should be monitored or should be uh, not monitored or they should be detained altogether. Right. So the spaces that, that space that we're concerned, I share the worries that law enforcement has because we have expressed some of the same concerns. But I, what I want to underline is that going back to what we've had before that hasn't worked is not the answer. The answer is working with the courts to take us and, and make this a better process. All right. L.A. County District Attorney George Gascon, thank you so much for joining us talking about L.A. County's new zero bail policy. Okay, so are recent college grads really too lazy to work? A new survey of business leaders from Intelligent.com finds 40% of them think recent college grads are just totally unprepared for the workforce. Oh, this is another one of those, you kids get off my lawn, you kids in your loud rock and roll segment. I love <laughs> yeah. these. Uh, many of these employers cite work ethic as the big reason. They also say this is more true now than of grads more than three years ago. Julie Balke, President and Chief Career Strategist at the Balke Group, thanks for joining us. Hey. So uh, yeah. <laughs> is there an issue here with, with these uh, younger well, workers? They don't have the work ethic. It is a different work ethic. They look at work differently, which is driving boomers and older Gen Xers especially crazy because it doesn't look like we work or the way we were sort of raised in the workforce. And so they are confusing. They are confounding. And you know, there's just sort of a there is a little bit of a get off my lawn aspect to it. Like it's the way I always did it. It was fine for me. Why can't it be fine for you? And they're they're just not playing ball, and that's what's I think is really causing a lot of the friction between the workforce and the the people calling the shots. Which is really interesting to me, Julie, because my kids are Gen Z. One was born in two thousand four, and one was born just at the beginning of twenty thirteen. So he's like right outside of Gen Z. But they come from Gen X parents like us who were the kind of people you know who just pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps, sucked it up grind, you know, grind, grind, grind. You have to start uh, at the bottom and you, you really got to work your way up. I, I hear kids talking and, and looking for jobs saying, you know, they want, uh, you know, lunch provided. They want an office. <laughs> they want, you know, all the perks and benefits right off the top. They want air in their they room. Want... <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah, They so... want to be able to breathe and eat meals. I just, you know, it just... Coming from parents like us, what what happened? What's the disconnect? Why has it so, changed? So there's, yeah, there's a lot of factors. I mean, we cannot forget, and I'm not saying you did this, but we are, these are the, the generation of um, special snowflakes who got participation trophies. And the parents who raised them in a lot of cases convinced them they were special. And now they join the workforce and they realize they're not special. And they want all those things. And, and what it's doing is why we're seeing a lot of what we're seeing. When you get to work, because a generation of parents blocked and tackled all the barriers out of their way, they start work and they expect someone else to do that for them. And so what it's done, it's made them very anxious and it's made them very afraid to fail because they shouldn't fail because they're special. And so we are seeing part of this is what we're seeing is the outgrowth of or the results of participation trophy parenting, which way too many people participated in and frankly are still doing. And so 
that's that's a big factor as to why this generation is not prepared to get in there and uh, pick themselves up by the bootstraps and do what it takes and, you know, get the bruises and bumps that the rest of us yeah. had to. So yeah, put that bone back in your monsters. leg and walk it off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just rub some dirt on it. You'll be fine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's that's a piece of it. And, and also, too, this generation, especially the youngest people in the workforce, they came of age. Some of them finished college and did internships remotely. And so they haven't had the opportunity to learn by osmosis or by being told what proper behavior is in the workplace. All right. And so so they this walk is, in and they're, you know, yeah. Yeah, this is a big war, right? This is going to be a war between I Gen guess. Z yeah. coming into the workforce and they're going to try to rewrite the rules for their uh, own way of doing things. Meanwhile, big business is going to push back. We want it done the old way where if we told you to jump, you asked how high and you said, thank you for that whip. May I have some more lashes, please? Mm-hmm. Uh, who's going to win that war ultimately? Will Gen Z just force a change? They will because time is on their side. When you think about how many boomers are still in the workforce, as the older generations retire from the workforce, the workforce will be made up of more of the younger workers who will grow up. They will mature. We did dumb things when they were, when we were that age too. And so they have time on their side because as more younger generations move into leadership roles where they do get to call the shots, they are much more concerned about having a career that serves their life instead of having their life ser- the other way around. They do- they want their career to serve their life instead of their life serving their career. So they look at work very differently. And that is, that's also something that a lot of older generations said, hey, I like that as we came out of COVID. And so they have the leverage to push for more balance at work and life than we ever did. We wanted it. We just never were. We never had the space to push for it. They have seen a lot that their parents have put up with. They know there's no such thing as loyalty on either side. And they are in this for at at least at this point, they want what they want. And yeah, it's going to be a tussle for a while. They'll grow up. They'll they'll get get real about some things. They'll have families. Life will will hit them in the face. It will. It will. But it will look different. It's not going back to the way it was. And that is not bad. By any stretch. All right. Julie Balke, president and chief career strategist at the Balke Group, talking about Gen Z has a let's be polite and call it a different work ethic. Yeah, we, we don't want to bash them too no, much, but no, no, yes. No. But, you know, they're they're smart, though, for trying to push for what they want. Yeah. Well, it's always an evolution, and that's what things are about, and that's one of the things we cover here on KNX In-Depth. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. That's it for today's episode. We will be back tomorrow at 1 p.m.